Welcome to the Inside Out Money Podcast. Can't even recognize this place. Too many pieces of our past mistakes. Hi, I'm Maggie, and I believe real change starts from the inside out. So let's work together to improve our money and our lives from the inside out. We will explore all things money and our relationship with it. Join me each week with a rotating set of co-hosts, friends, and interviews. Let's jump in. Hey everyone, welcome to Inside Out Money. Today we have something very special. We've done some combos of different co-hosts and today we've got Liz and Erica. Welcome ladies. Thanks Maggie. Hey. This is the first time we've had all three of this combination of people. Mm -hmm. This is our first like ladies night. And I just realized that this, because I was like thinking about who everyone else is and you're right. These are all the ladies of Inside. These are the ladies of Inside Out Money. (laughs) Ironically discussing a book by a man. I'm only going to say a man because like definitely a man. Just just some some manly things about this book, which we'll get into. Like a real bro-y man. A bro. Yes. A bro. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I, I may have referred to him as a bro in a few. He throws out some tech bro vibes. He does. Mm-hmm. Yes. But we're, so we're going to be discussing the book Happy Sexy Millionaire. And by the way, I was going to say this before we started. I've had this feedback for myself, but I've also gotten this feedback many times from people that we spend too much time, not you and not this group necessarily, but that on many of the podcasts, we spend way too much time with like chit chat before we get to the topic. So I was going to jump right in. What'd you say? It was definitely us. Uh, Hello, our 20 minute Barbie conversation. I think it was everybody. I think it's everybody. I think I've done that on every single one. I think I could say, except Greg, because I just like have seen him four seconds ago. So I don't need to like talk to him. (laughs) You're not like, how are you? Yeah. yeah, What's going on? What'd you eat? Yeah. I was going to jump right in unless you guys have other Mm -hmm. stuff you want to talk on. Okay. So we all read the book Happy Sexy Millionaire by Stephen Bartlett. I thought the story of how this book even came into our lives was kind of funny. Erica, you remember, right? I remember. Yeah. So I've been following Stephen Bartlett for a while on LinkedIn as a CEO of his company and kind of, I guess, like a business influencer in that space, even though he's certainly proud of his Instagram followers. And so I've been following him for a while and he often will show quotes from this book. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy this. I'm going to buy it for Maggie's birthday. I bought two copies. And right when I told her I'm going to send it to her, she's like, don't send that to me. I bought it in the London airport, not knowing what it was, but needed to spend some pounds. I had to spend my cash. Yeah, I didn't even pick it out. I'm like literally frantically running through a duty-free shop. And for the first time in my life, I offered the kids money and they couldn't find anything they wanted. And I was like, what is wrong? with you. Are you guys tired? Like what's happening? And so Greg walks up with his book and, and is like, this looks like something you would read. And I was like, eh. the title threw me off as a little bit like, like, uh, I mean, it's a cheesy. little clickbaity. <laughs> yeah. Like, like making me think it was about like how I become an overnight millionaire. It's not what it's about at all, but I, I misread the title as like, it was going to teach me, you know, like it's like one of those one hour long courses where it's going to teach me how I can quit my job and make millions tomorrow. And so, but, but I was in a hurry and I was like, oh, okay, what the hell? Like, let's take it. It was it was like 10 euros or 10 pounds, 10 something. And he is British. So that's probably why it was like, you know, displayed prominently in the airport. And yeah, so it was it, Erica and I were like, oh, this is fate. And she had an extra book. So she sent it to Liz. And here we are. Thank you for doing that, by the way. 
You're welcome. And it sounds like maybe we had some differing opinions on the book, given that all three of us read it. So if we want to maybe say how we felt about the book before we dive into what we got out of the book. Yeah, I think it'd be fun in addition to like overall thoughts on the book, because we did have like we've exchanged some text in advance and we kind of saw some show notes, too, that we some notes we put in. Let's if we had to give it a zero to ten rating without that, we're going to get in that you get you get your explanation, your blurb of why, too. But like what rating would you give it? Zero to ten. Ten is the best book you've ever read in the whole world in the nonfiction financial book category. Zero to ten. You can't compare it to like the best fiction book you've ever read. It's not comparable. Okay. With those parameters, that's a lot easier for me to answer because I have not read a lot of personal finance or finance books like y'all have. So for me, I would say it was in the six to seven range, probably because this is one of the earlier ones that I was able to read and understand the concepts, maybe because it wasn't too heavy in investing or certain things that really mm-hmm. just bores me. And yeah, turn you off. It didn't sit It there. turns me off. Yeah. Erica, it makes me think of there's like a Tony Robbins book called Unshakable. Like, oh no, he has a lot of books, but there's like a money. I don't I think that's his money book. Money. Maybe it is. Money Master, master the, the game. game. Yeah, like in Ugh, that book, that I, title is a turnoff. Yeah. Well, but in Ugh, that book, everything about talks- this is gross. <laughs> In the, and his face is real big on the front. In that book, he he like he talks about like percentage of like bond versus stock mix. I feel like that's the stuff where you'd be like, I'm out. I don't want to hear this. So I see what I get what you mean. Okay. So you give it a you said somewhere between a six to a seven. Yeah, I liked I liked that it was a mix, you know, it's the happy, sexy millionaire thing. It it combines a lot of things. It's not just money based, it's the things that put you in the mental space to help working towards making more money and being successful. And not even making more money, being successful and how you define success. There was a lot more nuance to it than a lot of these cut and dry financial books that I've tried to read. And like you said, they turned me off. But I am curious to hear what y'all thought because you do read a lot more of these books and you both are very entrenched in the space. Okay, Liz, what you got? You go first. I would... Be honest. Give it like a three. I I actually read it twice. <laughs> and I, I read the paper book when I got it a month ago. And it, it's a pretty quick read too. But then I wanted to refresh my memory before we recorded tonight. So I listened to the audiobook and I strongly preferred the audiobook. It's pretty casual. Does he read it himself? He does. And my my overall impression, I have like a just a personal Liz thing that I have a little beef with books that I think are just printed out blog posts. <laughs> and I think, but I think those kinds of books lend themselves better to being an audiobook because it's almost just like listening to a couple episodes of a podcast versus mm-hmm. I, I think when I think of books, I expect them to be a little bit more buttoned up, a little bit more polished. And so I think that's why I thought the audiobook was better. I am not super buttoned up or polished. So it might be why. I didn't hate I didn't wasn't like my favorite book ever but I would probably I already answered this question to myself and I had like given it a 6.5 I maybe would give it a 6 when I compare it like just in the you know financial category that doesn't make sense that should give it a higher score actually but anyways I would give it somewhere in a similar range as you to Erica maybe like a point lower I'm gonna give it a 6 out of 10 if I have to nail myself okay, down so I'm not hurting anybody's feelings you're not like 10 10 out of 10 love no, it maybe maybe Stephen Bartlett's feelings but you know no. You're right. I don't, I don't think Liz is not concerned about hurting his feelings. Is that what you're going to say? Well, I don't think that he. I mean, 
Inside Out Money is a very prestigious podcast, but it may not be on his radar all the way over in the UK. Like, do they even have podcasts there? I yeah, don't know. We, I, we have a very strong following in the UK, just so you know. <laughs> I'm going to take it to him when I go to the UK next week for oh, work. I'm going to no. hand deliver this podcast to him. Well, you could because we're not all like giving him a hard time, you know, poor guy. <laughs> Okay, like 5% of our listeners are in the UK. I thought it was a higher percentage, but that's, you know. That's pretty significant. You know, a meaningful number of people, and most of them in England, a little bit in Scotland, Wales, smidge in Northern Ireland. I mean, 5% of a zillion listeners is still a lot of listeners. I mean, I don't have 2 million followers like Stephen Bartlett, the author of this book. And the only reason I know he has 2 million followers is because he said it about 20 times in the book. But Liz, (laughs) you're bringing me down your path because I actually will say at a very high level... I actually liked the book. I'm only giving it a six out of 10 because I, to Erica's point, I've read a lot of other finance books and it was, it was good and good reminders for me. And I enjoyed many parts of it. And I, I enjoy a bit of a personal story in there. And I think he has one of kind of, you know, rags to riches, but then realizing that the riches aren't what's going to really make him happy in the long term and reassessing some things in his life. Now, keep in mind, he wrote this at the ripe old age of 28 or maybe 27. And I think it was published when he was 28. And so, So he's still very young. Not that we're like that much older and wiser. I would, I'll go out. This is, I mean, maybe slightly controversial, but I just, I'm not sure I want to read a self-help book by very many people who are still in their twenties. That's a very, that's a very good point. However, I will play devil's advocate on that in that. So for our readers, whether you are, or sorry, listeners who might be readers of Happy Sexy Millionaire, I think it's worth noting whether or not you read this book, the gist is that he was kicked out of the house when he was 18 because he didn't want to go to college and his parents were very um, upset that he made that path. So they said, you have to go figure out what's next for you on your own. And so he ended up basically like having no money, kind of living this really like homeless for a little while. Yeah, living living a little bit of a street life. And then but knowing that he so he had created this thing for himself. He's by 25 he's going to be a happy, sexy millionaire, which is a little shallow. And he calls himself out on that. So I think that maybe even though he was 27, 28, when he published this book, he had maybe gone through like different lifetimes that maybe some of us with just more traditional, you know, stable upbringings, were still kind of learning those things. He had a lot of trial and error that might give him just a little more experience to like speak to these things. But you make a very good point that he's also got a lot more experience. Like he can have like eight more lifetimes as CEO of whatever next company he is CEO of. I think he's had a lot of interesting experiences. And I think he has like some good ideas. And I think he's had a lot of success. I think 10 years from now, he's going to have a lot more perspective on it. And he's going to be able to articulate a lot of what he was trying to say in a better way, in my opinion. I think he's got a great yeah. story. I think he's had yeah. a really interesting life. I don't think he wrote an especially effective book. I, I think you're both right in different ways. He lived a lot in those 10 years, which I think is, Erica, what you were saying. And he, some people don't do a lot during you know college. They're just kind of hanging out and studying and stuff like he lived a lot he started a company he ran a company you know he did a lot very quickly but i also yeah i do think there's a lot more that he will learn 
Okay, so I, I think for anyone who's listening and it sounds like we are like crapping on this book, I don't think that's the case. I think we are three very intelligent, well-read women. I don't even feel comfortable saying that about myself, quite honestly, after reading this book, because I know what it feels like to read a book from someone who talks very highly of themselves. And I tend to be a more humble person. But I'm just going to say we, I don't even like saying I'm a humble person, by the way, that make that statement <laughs> makes me uncomfortable. Anyways, I'm just saying we are three intelligent women well-read people. And all we're saying is we have some pretty high expectations and we took a lot out. I think many of us took different things out of this book. And I I was taking a lot of notes and it. I enjoyed reading the book. I would recommend it to other people. We're, I think we're also just saying we're, we're kind of you know picking at certain things because we do have very high expectations. But I think it's worth getting into some of the big themes and takeaways from the book because I think there were some very big ones. And again, like Liz, you and I at some point were texting about this. A lot of these aren't new concepts, but 90% of the books I read are not new concepts. They're they're different things kind of regurgitated in different ways and that I might be digesting at the right time in my life that it's particularly meaningful. And a lot of these topics were very meaningful to me at this time in my life and things I agree with. I, I think you make a good point that they're not new topics, but like how they digest with you and how they're conveyed to people so that they do resonate with you. Like again, like I'm still new to this area. Sometimes I'm going to read some of this financial stuff, my eyes are going to glaze over. Sometimes I'm going to hear this person's personal story. And, and again, this isn't as much finance as just like steps to success, I would say, maybe, unless I glazed over for the finance stuff. But it was how it resonated with me with his story, how he wrote. Even though he had, we'll say, a healthy dose of confidence, borderline ego, it wasn't condescending in any way, at least not how I took it as a reader. And so that's where I was able to be like, all right, yeah, this is, this is helpful for me to take down these notes and just kind of highlight some themes and be like, yep, let me come back to this as just a little reminder. Yeah, I fully agree. I mean, he had some nuggets that felt like really basic, like please live life on your own terms, unapologetically chasing you. And if that's like the first time someone said that to you, or it was a right time in your moment that you needed to hear it in your life, I can see how that would land. I I, I may have just read too many books like this where I'm like, yeah, 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 I know. But also, okay, it makes me think of this example uh, someone told me a long time ago, they were like, whatever you have, just like put it out in the world and the people who need it will find you. Right. And the example that they gave was uh, yoga classes. <laughs> and they were like, people go to all those. Some people like the room hot. Some people like music. Some people don't like you can do yoga on free on for free on YouTube. And so why doesn't everyone do that? You go, you're like, I just like the sound of this teacher's voice. I just like that story she told one time and it really clicked with me. I, the studio is close to my house, like whatever it is. So you just got to put your thing out there and know that like the right people will come and find you. There's, you know, a million people out there telling you how to get into downward facing dog. <laughs> like you're just going to pick the person who's the right person to tell you how to do it. Yeah. So one of the things that you just, you said a second ago, Erica, I think you are, or, or I don't know, it made me think of something. I don't know what you said, but some, you said something about a finance book or you don't read a lot of finance books. What's interesting is I actually wouldn't, I didn't think about it at the time until you said that, but I wouldn't call this a finance book. I would call this, and he actually himself calls it a self-help book a few times because he makes comparisons to like other self-help books. It's a finance book in the sense that to me, one of the biggest themes from the book, which let's get into it, is money doesn't buy happiness. Like that to me is the angle at which it is a finance book because he he really does spend a lot of time talking about for lack of, you know, we can get into the, the details of it, but at a very high level that money doesn't buy happiness. And that like like you said in, in the introduction, Erica, he, he one time wrote a notebook that he wanted to be a 
millionaire, a happy, sexy millionaire. But then when he became one, he realized he wasn't any happier. And that's not actually what was going to you know, create happiness in his life. I have a question about that for both of you. So he said pretty explicitly, he tells a story, you know, he was broke, literally digging around in restaurant booths for change to find money to buy like a slice of pizza. And he says he he was the exact same level of happy at that point in his life as when his company went public valued at $200 million. And I know it was $200 million. Do you think that that, do you think that's true? Well, to clarify the way I read that story was not at that point in his life was he that happy, but the literal point where he found like 14, he realized everybody was losing change behind this particular seat because it was falling out of your pocket and that nobody was reaching their hand far enough back to reclaim their change. It wasn't like he was saying as happy as that entire time in his life, like that period of time, that literal time of finding the $14 and change when he was so hungry and destitute felt as exhilarating because of where he was coming from. So from that angle, I'm like, I don't know. I could see that being true because at that point having, you know, I can compare times in my life. I never got, you know, $2 million all at once, but I got a lot of money and it didn't like magically make me happier overnight. There were other times in my life when I didn't have a lot of money that I was happier. So I, I can relate to that to some ex- or to some extent. I don't know if relate to it's the right term. I can believe it. Do you, you don't though, I'm guessing. I think, well, I think he made that point. I, I think when he actually, you know, he, the, the end of that story is like he found like $14 and he had $0 and he was super pumped. That I think you could... I, I would believe that he found as much joy, like as much or even more joy in that moment than the day his company went public, partially because of expectations. Like he wasn't expecting to find $14. He actually probably was expecting for at least yeah. a year that his company was going to go public. But I think he was making a point elsewhere in the book that in general, like the time in his life when he was at that point, he was actually the same level of happiness as the time in his life that he made all the money. What do you think, Erica? Yeah, I I think I think yes to that, that he was he was happy at both, but he was just as happy finding the $13 or $14. And it didn't, I think it was the whole thing of like, you can find happiness if you create it for yourself in ways where you, you know, and that's where he goes in the other themes of the book of like the more, always wanting more, you know, the $13 was enough to buy him a meal that day. The 200 million, that's a lot of money that most of us will never see. How much more money do you need where at that point he was probably like, he was already living in an apartment. He was doing these things. Like how much more do you need when you've gotten to that point where you're running a company and you went public? So I think that part of the book like resonated with me of like, wow, that's, you know, where it, it goes back to the theme that I took away of we are told by whom? By everybody, by everything that we see that we should have more, we should want more, we need more. It becomes, it goes back to what we talked about, Maggie, with like needs versus wants and like what is enough. And for him, all he needed was a slice of pizza. But then he, all he wanted to do was get to being a happy, sexy millionaire. The millions came in and he'd peak. Like what else is there past? And I wasn't he like 22 when this happened? He wasn't even 25. Like he had su- he had succeeded in his goal prior to his goal timeline and he was no happier. It didn't do anything. So it's like, well, what next, you know? So when you set these goals for yourself, it's like, well, then do you keep having more goals? Yeah, it's the hedonic treadmill, which he talks about in the book. And again, it's not a new concept, but it was interesting 
to see a personal, you know, someone's personal experience with it. And in this Money Doesn't Buy Happiness theme, he starts the book in an interesting way, talking about the impact of social media. And let me just like read a couple of quotes because some of them are, to me, were very much resonated. So this is an actual quote from the book. I was a victim, a victim of today's media narrative, social media fallacies, and societal conventions. Conventions that, if followed, risk leading us down a dangerously miserable and unfulfilling path. And then later on, he says, Someone or something had lied to me. They had all told me that if you become a success and make bucket loads of money, you will be the happiest person on planet Earth. I felt lied to, lied to by the societal narrative that existed everywhere I looked and lied to by myself. That really resonated with me personally because I am going through a whole personal change and transformation is not the right word, but evolution, I guess, of realizing that everything I thought I wanted my entire life, once I got it and as I was getting it, which was a very successful career and making more and more money and having a big team and all this stuff that he had on a different higher level than me, but that I had on a higher level than I expected I would get to in life, wasn't making me happy. And everything that I was ever taught and grew up around, forget social media, I didn't grow up around social media, right? My my kids are, but I didn't and, and we didn't on this call. I mean, we have it around us as an adult, obviously. We didn't grow up on it, but everything else that we were taught offline was that that's what success looked like, right? And our kids are getting that times a million with social media. And I do believe that it's a fallacy. And I do believe that if you get sucked into it, you will get lied to. And I mean, he's being, you know, exaggerative in his statement of like, I was a victim and right. It, it makes for, you know, makes for a good quote and, and a good story. But I, that point really, really resonated with me. Yeah. And to to tag onto that, I mean, we all kind of are victims to it. I mean, he called it a status war zone, which again is like hyperbolic, but it could be something like with cigarettes back in the day, people didn't know the causes because we were lied to. And then everyone starts suing social media companies for the damage it does like later on. I think it is something that like, you know, we don't even we're learning the effects, but we don't know how bad they actually are. And so, yeah, we are kind of all victims to it, but we're doing it to ourselves in a way, too. But again, it's what we're told, like, oh, you're not on social media. But one of the things he said, too, and the irony is that he made his money off of a social media agency. That's how he became rich. So that's the irony, which is why it almost resonates more that he's calling bullshit on all this. He really craps on social media, and that is literally how he continues to make his living. Which I have no problem with, you know, because people are still feeding into it. If he, if other people are making their living off of it, fine. I mean, he can maybe go do something a little better, but if he's hopefully doing some good things in the world too. I wasn't suggesting that we shouldn't. I was actually saying that makes it more authentic to me, which I think you were saying yeah. too, Erica. Yes, that's, that's yeah. what I'm saying. That, and there was a quote that I actually highlighted too about it. There's nothing that kills people more than a meaningful life and the toxic society we live in is slowly urging us to trade meaningfulness for material abundance, followers, likes, isolation, and shallowness. And so he said he made this point that like the more we think we need these things, we're moving away from what connects us to people and towards things. And that's where people just start disconnecting. Yeah. The more we're connected to our phones, our social media, everything else, our devices, we're disconnected from the things that actually make us human. He then goes on to after he's kind of making all these points about 
buy like money doesn't buy happiness. Social media is a big thing that has caused us to believe that it does and is is just exacerbating that problem. He then has this theme throughout the book. It's in the very beginning and it's literally at the very end because it's the last line of the book. You guys remember what it is? You are enough. enough. You are enough. Yes. And so, and it's funny, it actually, I like picture that he's sat in a lot of therapy sessions to, to be using language like that. But he just talks a lot again from the very beginning of that we are already enough. And and the last phrases, one of the things we talked about gratitude a lot, which we can get into, but one of the things he says is gratitude has transformed me from feeling that what I have isn't enough to feeling like it's more than enough. And it's made me feel that I am enough. And then the very last line of the book or sentence of the book is you are already enough. And again, I this I put this in the self-help category. Like I, I appreciate a book that remind in a world, especially with social media, that is constantly telling people they aren't enough in indirect terms because they're not saying that. But every time they put a different, you know, TikTok makeup reel, and I'm not knocking makeup specifically, but there's a lot of like makeup reels and crap targeted towards kids and making them think they need this stuff to, to be enough. They're sending a message that you're not enough. And I, I appreciated him saying the opposite. Yeah. And if you look at it in a corporate world too, you know, we, we get job reviews, you know, based on our merit and whether we're going to get a raise that year. We're constantly being judged in certain ways and we use other people's judgment, whether it's through social media, like we keep talking about through like a job review. What am I trying to say? Not job review, but um, performance review, performance review. Thank you. Are you impressed? I remember what that even is. This was just a test, Maggie. I was like, oh, what's that word? Job, job. Performance review, like through your annual performance review. And then, you know, I, I go into mine, like always just expecting like, well, here's where I get fired. I don't know where that comes from, but there's something in me that thinks that. And then whether or not I think I'm doing a good job, I base it on whether my manager thinks I'm doing a good job. And why is that? You know, so I like that he pulls in the you are enough in terms of how you go through your life, but also how you define success. Yeah, I agree. I thought that theme was one of the stronger themes. And you were talking about how that was the very last thing you said. I thought the very last couple of chapters were the strongest in the book. He really focuses a little bit and talks about needing intrinsic motivation. You only have one life, not getting distracted, kind of ends on this idea of having enough that he thought that he didn't have it when he grew up. And it kind of gets away in these last couple chapters from, did you know my company is valued at $200 million and that I have 700 employees and I technically have a multinational company because we were in two countries. And the the last bit, it (laughs) I'm just laughing because I don't want to, I don't want to cut you off on your thought. Keep going. It feels, you know, when you talk to, you know, when you meet someone at a party and they, you can just tell they're maybe a little nervous and a little anxious. Maybe they have some social anxiety and they're maybe trying to impress you. And then you talk to them for a little while and they relax and you're like, oh, there's the real you. You seem lovely. That is how I felt about this book. He didn't relax till like the last couple chapters though. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I was laughing because you, I mean, you and I had texted about this, but it, at one point we could turn this into like a book drinking game, which I don't think I've 
I've ever played a book drinking game before, but totally you drink every time he says, quote, as the CEO of more than 700 team members, because he did say that a lot. Like if I was in Kindle and could like control find or something, I want to go with maybe 20 times. And and I'm I'm familiar. Like I I get it. I think maybe he was, you know, who knows? That stuff could come from like publisher guidance. If you need to remind people why you're, you know, why they should listen to you and whatever else. But I will say I have a like when I read books and this is like a little bit of like ADHD or just a speediness of like, I kind of like read a book, I take some things from it. And, and unless I like love it, and it's one of my like top 10 books of my life, which I should figure out what that list is actually, I just kind of move on, right? Like I, I gl- gleam some things from it and then I move on. And I I still, with, with the exception of the fact that yes, he makes some comments like that where I'm kind of like, okay, got it. You're the CEO of one 700 team members. Your company was worth 200 million and you have 2 million followers on social media. I That has been stated enough times now. Uh, there also were like really, cool like and we're getting into some of them but there were i say cool because again they're not new but like good takeaways mm-hmm. so to shift us to another one i thought his talking about the power of gratitude again not a new concept at all for <laughs> me it hit at the right time i read about this in literally a hundred books and blog posts and social media videos and everything but i've never been good at actually any sort of practice where i actually like write down what i'm great gracious I'm trying to think of the word great. Grateful. grateful for have you do you have either of you actually like done a gratitude journal or like written down what you're grateful for I don't do a journal but I do like a gratitude practice every night right before I fall asleep like I say four things throughout my day so it's glad something you're grateful for l something you learned a something you accomplished and d something that delighted you so different mm-hmm. things each day I like it. just to kind of, and it's a nice thing as you fall asleep because you kind of take those with you into positive states to where you wake up and then it does kind of help the more you do it like any habit the more you do it the more you kind of start to feel the effects of it so I've been doing that for a while now but I don't journal about those things but I do try to take moments to recognize glimmers of happiness like little tiny things that make you happy you know like when I get to like certain days I'll go and buy a latte from the coffee shop up the street which Mm -hmm. is such a basic white woman thing to be excited about but you know what it's it's my thing and um um, you know, I like really try to take a moment of like this first sip is going to be really good, you know, mm-hmm. just taking the taking the time. You're allowed to enjoy your latte. It's, Thank it's... you. Thank you. Or my first sip of wine was that uh, like both. Know. Yeah, yes. that's that's a great bookend to the day. Mm hmm. <laughs> Yes. I I love glad, by the way, Erica. I hope I've made your glad one day. Have I ever made it in there? You're gonna today. Okay. Exciting. Yeah. I really liked it. Wait, can you say it one more time? Okay. So glad. Something you're grateful for, something you've learned, something you've accomplished, and something that delighted you. Delighted. Oh, I like that. Put it in the show notes. It's a good one. I did. I just wrote it down. It's gonna be in there. I like it. So yeah, I love I love that concept. And I, I again, I it's like one of those things where I've read about it literally a hundred times. And I'm in general, am a grateful person, I would say. I'm very, I have a lot of perspective and I'm very appreciative of all that I have, but I don't like physically like do, I don't do that glad exercise every night. I don't physically write down three things every day that I'm grateful for. And he talked a little bit more about like that specifically being what was like a game changer for him with gratitude. And so I just like that again was a little nugget where I was like, okay, I think there's some things where I can, I can get a little bit, I just could benefit from that right now. 
just to put like a point, just so I don't sound like a total Grinch. It's not that, I mean, of course, most books are just a different slant or a regurgitation or a just here's how this applied to my life. A lot of books in, in this nature. I think it's, I just sometimes got the vibe. Like he was like, y'all, did you know that social media yeah. is bad for you? Did you know that gratitude is good for you? And I was like, yeah, I did. I did know. Like, tell tell me more. But well, that's back to he's 28 though. In right. his, in his ecosystem, in his sphere of influence. I mean, actually, I, I would say these could be new concepts. They shouldn't be new concepts in the sphere of influence I believe he's in. But yeah, I do think some of that is his age talking, right? He didn't preface yeah. the book with, hey, this is a bunch of, this is like what, and again, back to something that you were saying, Liz, too, he, it is when you were saying kind of towards the end, it got more pulled together and, and kind of succinct on some things or had a framework, perhaps. It is a bunch of like little chapters on kind of all these little nuggets. So this is almost like everything he's learned over the last 10 years, right? And so I, I sometimes don't mind those like kind of little quick hits. Wait, I was going to go yeah, back go to the it. gratitude thing to put it more because there was more there was more to the gratitude like he took it as like having perspective of where you've come from honoring and acknowledging your progress. So the day that he found out that his company went public and he got the 200 million dollars, he called his buddy who he'd been working on. They used to live in this like trash flat in London somewhere with like sleeping on the floor, maybe just a mattress, like maybe not having food, but trying to work hard and hustle to get to this level. And he called him. He's like, dude, we did it. And he's like, what are you feeling like? He's like, nothing. And he's like, me neither. He's like, why is this? And he said he put on his headphones. He used to walk to work when he was first trying to get the company going and had no money because he couldn't afford the bus or, you know, transportation otherwise, like a cab or a lift or something. And he did that same walk, walked past the building that he used to sleep on this mattress in and was like, oh my gosh, look at how far I've come. And it gave him like a sense of pride that got him to be excited. Like, wow, I've actually achieved this. And it gave him gratitude for where he came from too. Not just like, oh, I'm so grateful. I'm a multimillionaire, you know? So I appreciated that aspect of it. And that is a thing that we can use for ourselves as like little nuggets of like, maybe you don't think you've gone very far, but when you look at a span of time and you look at the things that you've achieved and you've changed or grown personal growth, job growth, even if it's just switching jobs, that's something you can be grateful for. You've had these experiences and they've given you perspective. Okay. Another big theme of this book is he debunks a lot of things we have always been told and that are sort of like cliche. I don't even know if cliche is the right word. It is for some of them, but we'll it's go like through something some that would be stitched on a throw pillow at like yes. anthropology or something. Yeah. Or something that like your family would ask you, like, when are you going to get married? Like, like he talks about all of these sort of binary choices and boxes that we have to put ourselves into of like, like, well, if you're not married and doing this, then you are not, you've not done this step in your life yet. And, and he's like, why do I have to be married? And he talks about love. I actually thought his comment, his discussion about love was interesting. Do you remember it? No, yeah, I you agree. tell us. Oh, he, I agree too. What was it? <laughs> he was like, well, Liz, you're going to do a better job explaining it than me. What I remember is that he said, every time I get a new relationship, my family says, are you in love? And the way he put it was none of us, have felt another human's feelings. So how can we have a common definition of, of love? love? And I, uh, let me say, I thought that was interesting. I also think when he's like, what is love? Marriage is bullshit. Like That's I kind of bro. Yeah. the person he was dating being like, dude, put a ring on it or move on. <laughs> like, yeah. This is bro BS. <laughs> 
Well, that could, we don't know this guy, right? So that could yeah. be coming from a very sincere place, or it could be coming from someone who's like, I don't want to settle down. Like, I don't want to, you know, I don't yeah. want to be monogamous, whatever. It could um, go either way, for yes, sure. We don't but know. I, I'll take him at his face value, but I could imagine, you know, the exasperated girlfriend being like, you got to be kidding me. But it was a fair point. And I, as I was reading it, I was like, what is love? And yeah, we don't know. Like, you know, there's people who will be so quick to say they're in love and like the strength of their feelings for someone else may be quite different than the strengths of my feeling for someone else. And, yeah. you know, I'll use the word love around a friend and like being in love. And there's just, so it was a valid point of like, we cannot compare. And, and he was like, why does it matter if I'm quote in love? Like, what does that mean to you anyways? Like, it, it's just, it's different for all of us. And like, I'm in a happy, committed relationship and we're in a good place. Like, isn't that fine? Do I need to put a word on it? And wait, 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 haven't we all decided that there is a clear spectrum as determined by contestants on the Bachelor. Level one, I can see myself falling in love with you. Level two, I am falling in love with you. And level three, I am in love with you. They always go through that same order. The Bachelor the is a great comparison for this point, <laughs> by the way. Does everybody here watch The Bachelor? I, it's, it's been a, been a while. I have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Look, I just got to go off on a quick tangent here. The Golden Bachelor. Oh my gosh. I it's so good. Okay. Awesome. I haven't watched oh, it. Can I say but... that word on here? It's freaking awesome. It's your podcast. Here is what is so great about it. And let's just go off on a tangent here since we're talking about love. Liz, you lit up on this topic way more than this book, by the way. So maybe we should just keep talking about The Golden Bachelor. So The Golden Bachelor, my favorite thing about it, it first off, I will tell you, I went in a little bit like ageist into the belief of like, oh, I'm not going to like it nearly as much. Like, I just can't relate to people in their 70s dating. And I, I like to see people about my age, right? And not like, they're not even about my age on The Regular Bachelor. They're all in their like 20s. <laughs> it's like the people on The Bachelor are not your age. They're not in their we, 40s. So I'm in between. All, I had this realization like the last time I watched it. I was like, I think I am actually closer to the parents' age when they do hometowns than I am to the contestants' age now. <laughs> That might be fair. Like, I'm not their age. I'm not the parents' age, but I'm closer. Like, yes, you're right. You're more likely to hang out with the parents then. But so here's what's so cool about The Golden Bachelor to me is they're like mature and reasonable and like heartwarming. And the things that this guy said, you know, they've been through like back to the point of this of like the author of this book's age. He's 28. The Golden Bachelor is 71. And most of the women that he's dating are between the ages of 60 and 75. And they have like a lot more life wisdom. They're kind and they're pretty I mean I'm only like a couple episodes in but like so far like there's just not the like cattiness that can be in the the regular bachelor look I'm not saying I don't still watch it like but but there's something that's actually way more enjoyable about watching like really nice sane mature people date and talk about life and love and other things it's so wholesome I can't believe how entertaining it is given how wholesome it is mm -hmm. it is and they're still it like making out on the first date I mean they're not like no unwholesome to me well she didn't say it was like sexually wholesome it was more like uh sexually wholesome. i don't know if sexually is the right word yeah there's still uh i don't know Gre actually greg and i, I were discussing we, we were like what's yeah we okay let's get back to it okay <laughs> no there's it's it's so precious though we totally recommend it's really it. nice. and i will i watched the show for a long time i always watched it for entertainment i never felt like i never swooned over a bachelor but like this i am probably more attracted to the golden bachelor than i have been any of the other leads in the like 30 seasons it's been on you know what would be great is if stephen bartlett went on like British The Bachelor or oh, whatever that would be. That would be some I wouldn't train be shocked television. to see him on a show like that. <laughs> yeah. 
I will watch Golden Bachelor. Golden the Bachelor. Is that what it's called? The Golden yeah. Bachelor. Golden the Bachelor? No. Yes. No, it's not a golden, golden retriever. The ba- <laughs> golden, golden the, golden the, the Golden bachelor. Girls. The Golden, golden Bachelor Girls. girls. Golden Bachelor Girls. <laughs> it is kind of like the Golden Girls on Bachelor, though. Okay, let's talk about the the other debunk. Oh, can can I go back? Yeah, because because I made the throw pillow comment. I would like oh, yeah, to yeah. go back to because are you in love is not something that goes on a throw pillow, <laughs> but follow your passion, which was another thing that he debunked and one that he debunked that we actually did a whole episode on, which I didn't disagree with him was what is your why? And to your point about the binary boxes, these questions that people ask people, they're asking people who maybe are perfectly happy in their lives and they're asking them to question question whether or not they're happy in their lives, whether they do or don't have these things. Like I I struggled to find what a why was. I don't know what my passion is. My passion is to like just be a decent human in life and enjoy my life and raise good kids, you know, like. And that like is okay. Like I I agree with you of I I actually struggled when we did that. What's your why episode? Like halfway through the episode, I was like, what are we talking about? I'm not sure that I should have pulled the plug. (laughs) Well, I'm not a big fan of like just that. I don't believe everybody has a passion. I don't I believe some people's work is a, you know, they're working to live and it's a job so that they have money to support other things they enjoy and support their family and support other hobbies and things that they're passionate about on the side. But I don't believe everybody's going to find passion in their job. And gosh, I was just listening to a podcast today that I'm not going to go off on too far of a tangent about, but it's related to this. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It is one of the best podcasts I've listened to in years. It's a rich role podcast, but it's a specific one with the author of it's it's an author uh, named Arthur Brooks who's yes, written I love him yes. such a good interview I've been reading specifically. yeah he has a book with Oprah coming out oh yeah he talked about that book in this interview actually and he talked about just how how he even got connected with Oprah and stuff one of the things he talks about made me think of this because he Arthur Brooks in the interview with Rich Roll talks a lot about the importance of and, and the the value that we get in our life from helping people and community and some of these other facets that we need, but they're not about like one passion or one why or this like North Star that you have to have. And I just thought the way, and he's a social scientist by, I don't know. He's a happiness scientist. He is. He teaches a happiness class at Harvard in uh, Harvard Business School. Oh, I read his book. From Strength to Strength. I think so. Maybe he's got a couple books, I believe. But he he talks about it in in a way where, and, and Liz, sort of on your critique of the book, you're right. Like when I compare the way Steve even talks about kind of the point about debunking these things, it's very surface level versus like the way Arthur Brooks double clicks into it. I mean, you can't compare the two because this guy like this is what he he is an academic and he studies this for a living. But he talks about it in a way where you're like, oh, you just blew my mind with that explanation. And so I get your point on like why you kind of ranked it lower. But I just think I think that is a very I, I liked that he debunked some things like that, because I think there's a lot of crap that are Erica, to your point, put on pillows or cross stitch or some sort of sign that you can buy at TJ Maxx and it's fall y'all. Yeah. Like it like never quit. Right. Is a but sometimes you should quit. Yeah. I actually thought, I don't know, maybe this is a good transition to it. Another thing that I loved, he talked about his quit framework and it was really simple. Like it's going to, I'm paraphrasing, but it wasn't much more complicated than this. He says, I've always like, and is with his sort of trademark confidence. He's like, I always quit at the right time. And I always know when to quit. And do you know how I just asked myself one question? Do I want to quit because this is hard or do I want to quit because it sucks? And if it's hard, is it, is it hard, but worth it? Or is it hard? 
hard, but not worth a payoff. And if it sucks, can I change it? And then can I make it not suck or not? And it's one of those things, simple, not easy, but I, I, that is something that sort of was staying with me in the week since I've read it when I was doing something I didn't want to do. (laughs) That's interesting that that was the thing that you took away from. Cause like you said, these are some, these we've said this the whole time. These are all so simple, but when we're in these things, like he talks about Mm -hmm. his lazy CEO brain, the thing that puts us on autopilot, we go off of instinct instead of taking the time to actually dig down like, Oh, this sucks. I don't want to do this. Well, can I make it better? You know, do Mm -hmm. we take the time to ask ourselves these things to get to the next step? Like even going back to the, um, finding your passion thing at some point in the book, he says, it's actually a very privileged place to be following your passion. Like Mm -hmm. you said, Maggie, a lot of people are really just working to provide for their families and they're doing the best they can do, you know, to have flexibility to kind of try something new where maybe you're going to fail. And yes, probably on a throw pillow somewhere, like (laughs) failure is what brings success or something like that. You know, those are the things that we all intrinsically know, but we don't necessarily have the luxury to try to fail. We have to work our daily jobs and then maybe what amounts of success for us is enjoying what we do on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. Same. I agree. I think, well, I think the idea of like following your passion often gets misconstrued in terms of career advice too. I worked for a while in like the insurance industry and it's not that I was passionate about insurance, but I was passionate about like finding more efficient ways to do my job, about like the role my job had in terms of helping people, about just being good at my job, like being a pleasant coworker were all things I was passionate about and brought me joy, even though I was not passionate about insurance. Well, that's sort of Arthur Brooks's point is you were in a role where you were helping people and adding value and like you were getting those intrinsic things that you really need. And actually, uh, Stephen in this book talks, we're on a first name basis now, by the way, (laughs) Uh, but he talks a lot about like intrinsic versus extrinsic value, which I'm not going to get into, but it is is something he talks about a lot too. Yeah. So another theme that he talks a lot about, and I'll sort of mix these two things because he talks about compound interest and uses as an example, but he talks a lot about patience and hard work, which I appreciate and I don't think enough people talk about. And I actually appreciate someone in his position talking about it too, because I made this comment when Greg first showed me the book and I saw the title and I was like, oh, it looks like one of those, you know, content creators that's trying to act, you know, they're selling some course and really the whole course is just how you should sell a course like them. And you're like, (laughs) what do you actually do? And what have you created that drives value that doesn't, isn't just look like another multi-level marketing scheme to me? And he, he just talks about, you know, with the company he built, which he's clearly very proud of, right? He came from very little and he built a very successful company, sold it for $200 million and has since started other companies. And I think he, he funds is a, a VC funder also. Is VC funder the right term? Mm-hmm. Funds a lot of VC. He's on, he's a, I think he's on like the equivalent. Okay. You know how we have Shark Tank here? Mm-hmm. I think there's something called dragons or some kind of dragons. Oh, but he's and he's, on, he's like an equivalent because he's oh. a dragon instead of a shark. <laughs> Oh, I like it. Well, his uh, he's a hardworking dragon is my point, but he talks a lot about just patience. So like, this is a quote from the book. He said, I genuinely believe that people who exercise patience and self-restraint over long periods of time, who work towards worthwhile goals without shortcuts or instant gratification, gain more happiness and success in the long term. 
Then he says in one of his like little kind of pithy one page quotes that he blows up, he says, be consistent for a long period of time should be the title of every self-help book ever written. And he gives a bunch of examples, but he, yeah, that was funny. He talks about like (laughs) compound interest. And obviously we've talked about compound interest many times on Inside Out Money and it takes patience to grow wealth. It's little things you do every day and then investing, right? And it's, it's simple, but it's hard work. And a lot of people, you know, it requires discipline and hard work. And a lot of people want to get rich quick. And that is one of my like biggest pet peeves and frustrations in the world. And so I appreciated his perspective on that because I agree with it a lot. Yeah, he did make a point in there that like making money is not easy. And so if you see anything that's like get rich overnight, beware, because that's not a thing. I mean, it's it's the same thing as I see where people are like, is it Dave Ramsey or maybe someone like this? Maybe that Tony Robbins face who we saw. But anyone who's like, buy my book, spend money for my course, I'll teach you how to make money. It's like, I have to spend money to make money? Like, how does that make sense? You know? Yeah. I think it's, yes, uh, two things. One, this is one of those sort of like very tactical, like very solid pieces of advice from the book that's very like sort of like hard advice and not a little more high level is there are no get rich quick schemes. And the thing that I always think when I see things like that is if someone had a get rich quick scheme they and it worked, they wouldn't be telling you about it. <laughs> yeah, that's They would just be point. doing it to get really rich. But I will also, we should, I would, one podcast idea might be the I, this whole topic that we've touched on a couple of times of like, buy my course, buy my coaching, buy my book, because I think and I don't, I won't go too far down the rabbit hole, but sometimes courses and coaching and books are actually incredibly helpful and yes, totally worth the money. And sometimes they're yeah. absolutely not. Sometimes there are good courses, right? Sometimes you do have to spend some money to make some money, right? You got to learn how to get a new skill before you can get people to hire you to do that skill, right? But I there are a my lot. Question. <laughs> no, <it's- laughs> but but you don't always. But there's a there's a, to Liz's point, and I think to your point, Erica, there's a lot of shady characters out there that are selling, you know, what do they call that? Like snake oil, mm-hmm. right? They're they're hyping up something and the only thing they sell is you trying to replicate what they're doing when there's not a lot of meat in it and it's not replicable. And so I think a lot of those things are actually like very predatory marketing practices. And to your point, Liz, I, I have like a 75% written episode on predatory marketing practices because they, you know, fire me up so much and there's just, there's little versions of it and then there's big versions of it, right? There's like whole life insurance. So we're going to get off track, but there's, there's just various levels of there's the, the courses you're talking about. And then there's, you know, much bigger scams and predatory things out there. Yeah. But his point is good. Like if it seems too good to be true. It yeah. Yeah. And it takes hard work and patience and discipline to be successful. And that's how he became successful. And I think that's an important point because again, drives me crazy when successful people imply that it was easy. And for just $99, I can teach you how easy it was. But for $99, dollars we can teach just kidding <laughs> unlike the inside out money how to be an amazing book review podcaster course <laughs> or just three easy payments but you have to act now in the next 14 minutes <laughs> or this deal goes away so another topic that he talks about in a way where it's not in a lot of things that I read about lately is death. And he does talk about, you know, he references again, things that we've all heard, which is like the stuff that people say on their deathbed, right? They're not like, oh, I wish I worked more. They're, they're, they're you know, saying all the regrets they had in life. And he, like, for example, he references a Steve Jobs speech that he gave at Stanford's commencement. And one of the things that Steve Jobs said is death is very likely 
simply the single best invention of life. It can propel us to follow our dreams and intuition, to defy conventions, to take risks, and to pursue our own path. Your time is limited, Jobs told the students. So don't waste it living someone else's life. And he just talked about the idea of if we spent more time recognizing how short life is and how imminent death is to all of us, all of us will die at some point, then we would live our lives differently. I'm I'm just sort of paraphrasing his point there. And again, not a new point, but it never hurts for me to be reminded of that. He had a good moment talking about that too, where he said something like, you know, you've heard the advice, live every day as if it was your last. And then I really appreciated this from him. He goes, that's obviously terrible advice. Like we would all be (laughs) doing stupid crap, extremely unhealthy, having spent all of our money. (laughs) You can't live that way. But I think he goes on to say something like, if we just remembered what a finite amount of time we have, would we spend so much time scrolling? Would we spend time doing this or that? Which is really nice. Although I, uh, I will also say, do you ever feel like, I don't know, maybe myself right before I die is like not the most important opinion that there is. (laughs) Like how I feel right now is also important (laughs) and I'm not necessarily living life so that 97 year old Liz, you know, has some nice moments right at the end. Like I, I also need to optimize for right now. Yes. You know, like again, with these scenes, like they all come full circle and tie in with each other, like the gratitude and the like having perspective of where you've come. And so taking the time now and creating that for yourself, death comes with like looking at where we are today. It comes with the gratitude of like appreciating what you have now, which is what he acknowledges. I just also think though that I don't know, I don't need to like live my whole life worrying that I'm like not living up to 97 year old me's standards. Yeah, I agree. I think the point is more, and we don't need to be thinking about it every day, but just realizing like life is short, right? Every time I think about leaving my job, like that was finally one of the things that made me be like, I'm doing this now, right? Because I don't know how much longer I have. And again, I hope I have another 40 years, but I don't want to look back and have regrets. And and to your point, Liz, like he makes the joke of like, uh, we can't live like that every day, right? Like I couldn't like when I was 21, a week into working, I couldn't be like, oh, screw this. I'm out of here, you know? (laughs) But he also makes a comparison to death and time and how we manage our time to money, which is interesting since this is a financial podcast. So I'll read Mm, it. Yeah. Oh, I loved that part, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if this is what you're thinking of. He says, it's easy to say yes to things we think we want to do or feel we should do. But when your currency is limited, like your time, your spending habits need to be policed meticulously. You need to budget, prioritize, and be frugal. And and that's, you know, he's making a reference at the end of talking about like how we spend our time and, you know, being more discriminate about what we agree to do and what we don't agree to do. But I think, again, not a new concept, just an important, timely reminder for everybody. But I liked the way he said it in terms like you need to budget your time. And in the same, because I think a lot of these life is short concept throw pillow phrase yeah, yeah like i it gets me anxiety i'm like oh god okay i'm, like, I'm gonna go right now and like i'm gonna call go everyone you love yeah novel and interesting and like meaningful to do and oh gosh why do i ever just sit around and watch the golden bachelor when i should be doing something else and when you think of it in terms of a budget it's like yeah some of my money goes towards my mortgage some goes towards retirement some of it goes towards silly outfits for my dog like it's, yeah it's all some fine. of my time will go towards the gold, golden bachelor and that's okay exactly Exactly. I think we can wrap this up. I think, you know, like we said, there's a lot of interesting nuggets and themes from this book. 
A good quote that I think sums up the book nicely that he says at some point is the reality of what people are dealing with behind the scenes when they look like a quote, happy, sexy millionaire on the outside is they're overworked, isolated, lonely, depressed, drinking, not healthy, etc. Putting work ahead of everything else, including their mental, physical health. The And then he goes on to say the issue isn't hard work itself. It's what hard work is at the, sorry, Jesus Christ. The issue isn't what hard, the issue isn't hard work itself. It's what hard work is at the expense of. Hmm. You just read that quote and it, I think of you. Because I read it? Well, <laughs> A, because you read it, it came out of your braces and B. <laughs> My happy, sexy braces. Sexy braces, your mouth braces, your happy, sexy mouth braces. Uh, if only this were a video podcast. You yeah, you get to faces. see my big cheesy grin when I, anyone references my braces. I'm like, you want to see more of them? <laughs> and boy, are there more. Did, there do you are. have more teeth than the normal person? Is that what's going on oh, there? Oh, no so Was that 48? There's so many. How many teeth are you supposed to have? I 32. feel like I have twice as many teeth because the braces feel like an extra tooth. Mm. You kind of have like shark teeth. They're like coming down on top of the teeth. Anyway, that is not why I thought of this. I thought about it because it came from your mouth braces, but also knowing you for as long as I have and watching your work style, getting you to the point of deciding you wanted to be done working. I mean, is it fair to say that you sacrificed some things for working as hard as you did? Oh, for sure. I mean, you remember on my wedding day, I had like my Blackberry clipped to my purse, I was going to say purse, like to my waist or so. I don't know what it was clipped yeah. to exactly where I clipped it, but I was like checking work email. Like I just was very, I couldn't turn it off. I mean, some of it's my personality. Some of it was the demands of work. It was like, a, you know, the, the perfect storm. But yeah, I, that, that might be why I relate to books like this so much is that they, validate a journey I've been on myself where, like I said at the very beginning of this episode, right, I grew up believing and not just grew up as a kid, but grew up in my, you know, 20s and 30s believing success looked like one thing and was making as much money as possible. And as a result, using that money to buy things and have a nice house and have a nice car, blah, blah, blah. And I slowly started to realize there were a lot of holes in that plan and that dream. And I started to want different things. And I'd say, you know, that all started in my 30s. But yeah, I, I feel like it very much resonates with me, which is, again, what I liked about this book at, at a whole. Cool. You have to say <laughs> <laughs> Don't you quote me back to me, Erica? No, I'm. I, it's it's nice to hear you say that because as someone who watched you work like that, kind of saying, and I always felt like I was like maybe not motivated enough in life that I would think like, God, Maggie, like why are you working so hard? But it, you know, I think there's a balance like there is with everything, and so to see that you were able to find that before it was too late, and you're like, God, I wish I hadn't worked so hard or worked as much or prioritized work, and you know, to have those moments of reflection at the time that you did, you're making up for lost time. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that many people would say that my first marriage was a casualty of that lifestyle. But the only reason I put a but on that is I think my ex and I are both significantly happier with the people we're with now than we were and, and meant for and sort of suited for than we were with each other. Though we made a you know beautiful child together and we get a 
along fine. But I look at that and I think like that did take a, a heavy toll on relationships in my life at the time. And it doesn't now, right? That is a, that yeah. is a big, big change yeah. I've made. That's a big shift right there. Looking at both your marriages and how you are, how you're present in one versus the other work-wise. I mean, one you were working, the other you're not. <laughs> big difference there. True. Yeah. I think it's a lot to do with the the people, obviously, of, of the overall success, but that the work is a huge factor too, right? Of just the, yeah, just, yes. Yeah. Cool. That's such a cool. like deep point to end on. I feel like we could either end there or we could name all the things that would go into the Happy Sexy Millionaire drinking game. Look, we could also just talk about how awesome Greg is because he just brought me a beer. Oh, that looks so good right now. Greg is so awesome. I've got to get a colonoscopy Friday morning. Tomorrow I can't eat, so I'm about to go f- wild tonight. It's 9.30 and I'm going to have like a really late dinner and get drunk. Can I do that before colonoscopy? Uh, n- not like the day. It's not the day before. Tomorrow's I know. my fasting day. It. I can't oh, eat anything yeah. tomorrow, oh. so I'm going to go wild tonight. Well, the Braves lost today, so... Uh, like, are they out of the playoffs now? No, tomorrow... They, they still have win. a shot, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> Erica's a big Braves fan. I am in Atlanta, and I am unaware of what's happening until Greg tells me something. I hope that they win. Or Thank you. Thing. Thank <laughs> you. The, you. You said you you stopped on win as if you were like, is that the right word? Win? I mean, I know winning is the right thing, but I was, I was trying to think like, oh, is there? I hope they like go to the playoffs or they... I hope they're successful in all their endeavors and find happiness. Exactly. <laughs> I hope they score a lot of goals. I hope baskets. that they find internal motivation to really use the most of their time and oh my be gosh, true to that themselves. Is ex- Liz, uh, you speak sports like language so well that is exactly what they need for tomorrow yeah that's cool amazing. cool did we wrap it up i think was we did. that the wrap up did we do it liz i think we did it okay so the moral of this story is if you add up all of our scores six plus seven plus three that's 16 16 out of 10 that's pretty i that is girl like math how offensive Steven, by the way is what is the term girl math offensive yes if you put the term girl in front of anything that's just generic I, well, that's it's why offensive. i thought it was but i also think it's kind of funny we need to put a different word in front of it not girl i think um, it's, i think we're allowed to say girl math okay why well, is that like girl math is like okay that's well i would say that that's stephen bartlett math i think he would you know it's <laughs> 16 yeah. out of 10 he wait just can i yeah wrap up with just like really like rag on stephen go for it you got 30 <laughs> seconds give him all you got the quote that i will remember the most from this book was when he said, I spent my 20s and I quote, building one of the marketing industry's most impressive companies of the last decade. Oh, wow. <laughs> I worked in, I mean, there's a lot of companies out there, but I worked for a large multinational global, is multinational and global is the same thing, I believe. The, yes. Firm. But I'm going to, like Stephen, I'm going to I'm gonna say multinational global firm. Were you in more than two countries? <laughs> I We were in, yes, hundreds of companies. Uh, countries <laughs> 90 plus i don't remember how many i think over 100 actually and i was i had never heard of this company and we are actually like a british-based company and i worked in like marketing and social media and digital marketing. digital marketing i worked in digital marketing i had never heard of this company again i'm not knocking the guy i'm just saying like there are a lot of there's like a ton of social media firms i had to go like google them and like look them up and i was like okay they have a web
website. It's called Social Chain. They're legit. They have a website. They're legit. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was the most, uh, the marketing industry's most impressive company of the last time. The, well, wait, I, the fact that I wasn't aware of it now makes me question any success I had in, in the digital marketing space. That says a lot about how you're wired, that you're it's... like, that's not a knock against him. I guess <laughs> I didn't, I wasn't up to speed on the most impressive marketing company. Of the it's last probably time. good that you quit, Maggie. Oh, oh, I missed it. <laughs> I was being sarcastic. And Erica, you're right. That is why I should quit because I really didn't even deserve to be in the industry because I wasn't yeah. aware of his company. So when you say like um, retired, it was like, you just didn't cut it. You just look, didn't make it. Here's the thing I would like to actually end on since we're like, we're giving Steven a hard time here is I will say like, I have, like, like I've said to my kids before when they get bent out of shape about something, I'm like, look, 75% of what I say is like a sarcastic joke. So like, don't take it personally. <laughs> here's what I'll say is he put himself out there. He was vulnerable in his own way. He wrote a book about his journey and his evolution and what he's learned and like more power to him. Everything I'm saying is like half in jest. I'm not really like for anyone who wants to write and say that we're like giving this poor guy a hard time. We are not. He came from very little and he has been incredibly successful and he should be proud of himself. And he wrote a book. I've never written a book. Like he wrote a book. I think it's a semi-popular book. He's It was in the airport, in the London airport. That's like pretty cool to be. Yeah, he's actually written two books. He's got another one, Diary, uh, Diary of a CEO. CEO. Is that newer yeah, so or that's that's newer? And and I think it might be a podcast too. So to Liz's point, maybe you can just tune into the podcast. But yeah, to wrap it up the podcast. thing, I think that's why to really put a review spin on it, that's why I liked it is that a lot of CEOs do not show vulnerability. Renee Brown will say that's like one of the best things that you can show to lead people. Like you can't lead without having that vulnerable side. So not only did he have a healthy dose of confidence, he was vulnerable and he had a compelling story. So for me, it was it was just interesting to read because I wanted to root for him. I was like happy that he succeeded. There are other people who maybe had companies handed to them and I don't want to read them telling me how to get how to be successful and happy. You know, his his came from a genuine place, I felt. I agree. And that's why I don't want to end this. I forget sometimes that we're recording this discussion. Sometimes I think I'm just like sitting there on my couch having a chat with you guys. And I don't want to end on sounding like I'm being super critical. Like I'm half joking about some of the things where I'm like, oh, how many times he says he's a CEO of a big company. Uh, again, like kudos to him. He wrote a good book. It's got a lot of great points in it. Things I very much agree with and that resonate with me. And I would recommend reading this book to someone else. Depend I mean, depending on where they're at in their life and what they're interested in. But again, it's more of a self-help book than a finance book, but it certainly has a lot of financial angles and components to it. Again, with the very first theme we talked about, which is money doesn't buy happiness. To some point it does, but he didn't need $200 million to be happy. Okay, cool. cool. Well, he also didn't have $200 million. His company was valued at $200 million, which is different. That is but, fair. Yes. <laughs> that is fair. Yes. Anyways. Okay. We know you liked it the least, Liz. We know you liked it the least. I, I, it had like, I mean, I, I appreciated everything you just said. Like he has an interesting story. It is hard to share that in a book. Like he's been really successful. I think he has a lot of good qualities. I just don't think like book writing is at the top of his skill set. He's really good at building impressive <laughs> marketing companies. Hey, would you date him if you were single? Oh my God. No. <laughs> okay. No. I feel bad. Okay. We're, we're just turning into like a mean girls podcast. You can. <laughs> okay. But I wouldn't date like most people though. Like, I, like that's fair. There's really that's one fair. person I would date, and I, I, I dated that person already. It worked out. <laughs> yeah, you, you live with them now. Exactly. <laughs> I've met them. They're very nice. I like exactly. them. So. <laughs> 
that person gets a 10 out of 10. 10 out right? of 10. I'm 16 out of 10 for me. I'm going to get, yeah, 16 out of 10 Six, for, for them. That yeah. is high praise. <laughs> also, Erica, praise right there. I've met the landlord too. And, you know, 16 out of 10 for sure. 16 out of 10 for Greg too. Yay. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I, I think Greg. Stephen Bartlett would be a downgrade for all of us, but he will find his version of love with someone. I'm very sure. Maybe maybe Hopefully. we should start a campaign for him to be on The Bachelor. I think he'd yeah. he should Hopefully go on Bachelor on, in Paradise. on a dating show. Actually, this is a great way to summarize how I envision Stephen. I envision that he would 100% show up on Bachelor in Paradise. 100%. Like, that's his. 100%. And again, I'm not knocking it. I watch the show. I love it. I would totally go on that show if they let older, not single ladies be on that show. <laughs> I would go. There should be a version of that that's just like us hanging out and like be like, oh, we have to like, look, like a hookup with someone. I thought this was just like a girls' weekend, you know? Podcasters <laughs> in Paradise. <laughs> oh my gosh. What a great, oh, I'm going to start that. That sounds like it's like borderline fire festival and only can go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Except I'm going to deliver on what I promise for the podcasters in paradise for the PIP 2024 oh, I'll debut. bring the craft singles. I mean, okay. but how nice would it be? Actually, you know what? They should totally do a reality show, but just for making adult friends. Oh my God, that's I'm trying to think idea. if there is one. Is that like Big Brother? But not really, because they're all still like, I don't really watch that. Aren't all like... those like competition shows? Yeah, but yeah. like instead, you know, all the day shows love is blind bachelor in paradise yeah. Bachelor. Yeah. But instead of trying to like find a, you know, you're just looking for you're a gonna, good friend. Yeah, that you're going to break up with like three months later, you just find a really good friend and you start, you sit down, and you're like, listen, how do you feel about the word moist? Or like, <laughs> how do you, like, do you want to go to a brewery or a wine bar? And then you find the people who are meant to be. I'm open to either. So on that note, I kind of feel like that's what the bachelor or the bachelorette is. Because if you'll notice, only one person ends up with the person the bachelor yeah. the bachelorette but they end up with a slew of really good friends that seem to stick for a long time yeah i'm way more interested in those relationships and you've seen I think the they're gonna last yeah, and then I when agree. those friends break up like okay i don't want to go yeah. too deep on the bachelor but like when like raven and rachel like are not friends forever and it's just a like she knows why and we don't know why and i want to yeah. know about that way more than than the relationship yeah and yeah. and there's been there's actually been episodes i can't remember which season but like on the bachelorette where the bachelorette's like dude, are you guys here for me? Or are you guys here for like bromances? Because the guys are like so into each other and they're having like such a party time together. Yeah, yeah. That like she's not getting the attention. I can't remember. I think that was actually Rachel that that season that that was happening on where I she was like, I of that on Michelle season two. I remember there was. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, if this doesn't work out as a financial podcast, we've got, you know, in the back, in our back pocket bachelorette. Okay, well, thank you guys for listening. We know your time is limited and valuable. We appreciate you spending some of it with us talking about Happy Sexy Millionaire and The Bachelor franchise. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please give us a written review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You'll have to let us know if Erica, Liz, and I are ever allowed to do a <laughs> podcast together again. We really appreciate it. We also encourage you guys to share this episode with a friend or family member, especially a friend or family member who's a Bachelor fan. And you can also subscribe wherever you listen podcast. If you have any thoughts or questions about this book or about the Bachelor franchise, we would love to hear from you. And you can leave us a voicemail or text us at 404-981-3370, or you can hit us up on Instagram. Okay. All right. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Thanks for doing this book club with me. Yeah. Thanks, Maggie. Thanks, Erica, for sending me the book. Liz, you're in charge of picking the next book, okay? 
Okay. No pressure, but I think you. Sh- I think this is a book club that just began. I love that. Okay, us. y'all have a good night. Thank book you so club much. Club in paradise. <laughs> hey. Bye everyone. Bye bye, 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 bye everyone. Yep. Okay. Right. Same bye for. Bye, Greg. Greg was like walking in with food. He was like, "You coming bye, out?" Bye, like, Greg. Yeah. Bye, bye, guys. Maggie, Facetime me during your colonoscopy. <laughs> Uh, okay, I think we'll be on anesthesia, but I could ask Greg. I could ask the doctor Even to video better. you in. Marco Polo, Marco Polo. How about I just send you? I'll send you a picture of my clean colon because it's gonna look. Did you say Cohen? Cohen. You ever seen the colon of a vegan person? Beautiful. Oh uh, yeah, it's my you. uncle. Send you a pic. It's okay. Gonna look, it's gonna um, look pretty. Liz, it was nice to get to meet you over this business, yeah. and I look forward to the next book. I'm going to get some wine. I can't wait for it. Okay. Perfect. Yeah.